please turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus this evening, uh, chapter 4, going to read the first 17 verses, and it's on page 56 in the church Bibles. And this uh, section of God's Word takes us right back to the first call of Moses by God. Uh, The Lord has appeared to Moses in the burning bush and charged him to uh, go to the people of Israel and tell them that the Lord is going to bring them out from Egypt. And Moses must also go to Pharaoh and tell him uh, that uh, the Lord has sent him. And it's in that context that we read the first 17 verses of chapter 4, Moses in front of the Lord in, in the burning bush. So verse 1, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. I'll just interject there and say it's never normally a good idea to pick up a snake by its tail. If ever you see one, the head is better than the tail. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he, Moses, said, O my Lord, Please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming, coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people 
and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this stuff with which you shall do the signs. And this evening, the verse that I would like us to focus on and focus our attention on is verse 13, where Moses said to God, O my Lord, please send someone else. Now what we began to do last Sunday evening and we'll continue to do for a few Sunday evenings, possibly right up to the beginning of December, we'll see how we get on, is to see what the Bible teaches about the subject of fear in order that we might not be people who fear, but Christians who are encouraged. We are not going to dwell only on fear, 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 to the exclusion of how we can be rescued from our fears and how we can be encouraged. Last week we said that fear is so common, it's so widespread in all its different forms, and it's common among Christians. And we sang that hymn of William Cooper, which says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. We all know in our own different ways what it's like to be frightened, don't we? We've all been frightened of something or other many times in our lives, a physical fear, uh, a social fear, uh, a fear of the unknown, a fear of people, a fear of something which is going to hurt us, a fear of looking stupid and of making a mistake, and we've all known what those sorts of fears are. And it's for that reason that we read so often in the Word of God these words that are repeated to so many people in the Bible, do not be afraid. How often God himself or his messengers say to those who are afraid, do not be afraid. But the opposite of fear is encouragement, or if you like, courage. Let's think about that just for a moment or two. Encouragement, encourage, are words that Christians, I have observed, use a great deal. I am encouraged today. I want to encourage you. This is encouraging. And we use the word a lot, and so we should. But what do we mean by encouragement? Is encouragement simply saying, oh, I feel a bit better now? I went home and uh, I had a rest, had a cup of tea, and I felt encouraged. Well, maybe you did, and maybe that's absolutely right. Encouragement is not simply feeling better, feeling happier, feeling cheered up. It is those things, but it's more than those things. Encouragement is to impart courage to someone, to give them courage. And then think about the word courage. And the linguists here among you will know that the word courage has a French origin. It comes from the French word cour, meaning heart. And to be encouraged is to have our hearts strengthened, being made bold, 
overcoming our fear and our inclination to give up. And that's what so much of Christian ministry is about, imparting courage and boldness to our otherwise weak, trembling, fearful hearts. But to understand encouragement, we need also to take quite a good look at fear. And last Sunday evening, we had a good look at David in Psalm 56 and his situation uh, with the Philistines and with Saul. And we looked at those words of verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. But this evening, we come to another great Old Testament character, and that is Moses. And we see Moses during what was surely the scariest, most unnerving episode of his life. That very day when the Lord first appeared to him and called him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. I want us to see, first of all, three observations about Moses' fear. What do we see about the fear that Moses knew? Well, first of all, Moses' fear, wouldn't we all agree, is understandable. It's entirely reasonable. It's how every person of flesh and blood and nerves and sinews and tissues and whatever else we have in our bodies uh, would react with if the same thing happened to us. Moses has had a monumental task assigned to him. Who wouldn't find it daunting to be met with by this terrifying apparition, this appearance of a fire that is in a bush in the desert. And yet this fire is not burning up the bush. And then a voice is coming from this burning bush, and it's the voice of the Lord himself. And we read in chapter 3 and verse 6 that Moses hid his face. Why? For he was afraid to look at God. And at this point, we must say, not only is Moses' fear understandable, it is proper, true, godly fear of the kind that any mortal man or woman or child should know in the presence of a holy God. Who would not fear the sight and the sound and the raw heat, as it were, of a God like this? And then you see Moses is told in chapter 3 and verse 10 these words by the Lord. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Which of you would not feel completely overwhelmed by such a prospect as that? I, Moses... An 80-year-old shepherd who's lived for 40 years outside the land of Egypt. And the last time I was there, I was fleeing for my life, having killed an Egyptian. Now being sent back to go to the court of Pharaoh, the most powerful, terrifying monarch in that ancient world, and asking him, please, sir... Would you let my oppressed and enslaved people of Israel go free? Who would not be utterly, utterly overwhelmed by an assignment like that? 
And even before that, Moses has to go to his own people. And he's been living apart from them for so long. He's got to go and tell the people of Israel that the Lord has sent him to bring them out of Egypt. Is it no wonder that Moses objects, as we see here in chapter 4 now and verse 1, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, nor will they say, the Lord did not appear to you. For they will say, sorry, the Lord did not appear to you. No one here, I can wager, will ever be asked to do anything of the scale and magnitude of what Moses was asked to do. If you have been, you sound like a very interesting person with a fascinating life, and I'd love to get to know you better. If you've ever been sent and commissioned to go and visit some ancient monarch or some equivalent today with a request like this, I would love to know more about your story. That would be fascinating. But let's be honest. We can be very familiar with Moses' emotions and thoughts that flood through his whole being at a time like this. There are even things, aren't there, that somebody else in our life might find very, very straightforward, but we've got to do something. And we feel, frankly, terrified by the prospect of doing it. And we think, I can't do this. I'm not up to it. It's too big for me. It's too much for me. It's more than I can take. It's more than I can face. Why have I got to do this? Why should I, of all people, have to do this? I I can't face it. I don't think I can do it. Now, that is a right humility at this point that we see in Moses. And the Lord knows that Moses is afraid. And that's why the Lord is so gracious to Moses. Have you noticed this? In the verses which follow, the first nine verses of chapter 4, God graciously encourages Moses. Moses, look what I'm going to enable you to do. Throw your staff on the ground. It becomes a snake. He picks it up by the tail. It becomes a staff once more. Moses, put your hand inside your cloak and pull it out. And his hand has become afflicted with leprosy. The skin is is white and bleached and flaky and diseased. And he puts it back in again. And it's restored. Two wonderful signs. Moses, Moses, when I send you to the people of Israel, and when I send you even to Pharaoh, you will do these signs, and I will be with you. If they don't believe those, I've got a third sign for you. Take some water from the Nile, pour it out, it'll become blood. This will authenticate you. This will prove to the people, Moses, that I, the Lord, am sending you. Because I want you to know you're not going in your strength. You're going in my strength. You're going with my encouragement. I'm encouraging you in your natural, understandable, right fear of me and indeed of the task I've given you to do. Go and I will be with you, says the Lord. All right. Moses' fear is understandable and the Lord does everything that is in the Lord's own power to encourage his servant. It may be the same for you. I pray it would be. But let's carry on because there is another point now about Moses' fear. Moses' fear is self-absorbed, or we might even say it is self-centered. 
it focuses in on himself and his own self-perception. He begins with himself. And you can see that in verse 10, where Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my, my Lord, I am not eloquent. What does that word eloquent mean? Uh, it means I, I cannot speak with fluency. I don't have the gift of the gab. I can't just stand up and talk easily. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and tongue. It's as if Moses is saying now to God, Yes, Lord, thank you for showing me those signs. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the sign of the snake and the sign of the leprosy. And thank you in advance for the sign of the blood. Uh, That's wonderful. I'm sure that will encourage me and help me. It will be very helpful. But, Lord, there's something that you need to know about me, actually. I need to tell you about my problem. I'm not a great speaker. I never have been, and I'm not going to change. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. I I don't really think I'm the man to carry out the task that you've given me to do. Now, what is Moses' problem with his speech, first of all? It doesn't seem to be a genuine speech impediment, that somehow his normal everyday speech was physically or nervously affected in some way. That seems to be most unlikely from all that we know about Moses. We're even told in Acts 7, verse 22, that great speech of Stephen, you remember, in the book of Acts, he says that Moses had been instructed in all the wisdom of the, of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Neither does it seem, though, that Moses is affecting a false modesty. Uh, As if Moses is saying, well, you know, I I, I know that I'm a wonderful speaker, I'm a tremendous speaker, I'm a very gifted speaker, but uh, I think I'll just say to the Lord, I'm really not very good, I'm a very, very poor speaker, then maybe the Lord will let me off the hook. That's not the case either. No, there seems to be a genuine issue with Moses. There seems to have been a real concern in Moses' mind. And what was it? That he was slow of speech. And that means, it seems, he was not quick-witted when it came to the cut and thrust of animated discussion. He found it hard to, to think aloud on his feet, to come up with compelling one-liners that would bring the house down or win the argument, or just cut through all the the mist and fog of an obscure discussion. He would struggle to be persuasive under pressure. He would be no good on question time on BBC One on a Thursday night. That's Moses' own self-evaluation. Of course, he can talk like anybody else. He can speak. Speech is natural to the human, the human race. But Moses just knew at the age of 80 that he was not an especially uh, fluent speaker when it came particularly to thinking and speaking quickly. Now, what does God say to that? And the answer is that the Lord is not remotely 
impressed or surprised or persuaded by what Moses has said. Look at verses 11 and 12, where God speaks back to Moses. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And do you see how the Lord is gently but quite firmly challenging Moses? Moses, says the Lord, do you think I've made a mistake? Moses, says the Lord, do you think I don't know you and your mouth and your speech rather well, indeed rather better than you do? Is God going to say to Moses, oh, oh, I didn't know that about you, Moses, that you weren't a quick speaker? Oh, if I had, I would never have come to talk to you. I've made a mistake. Well, I'm sorry. Maybe you are the wrong man, and I'll try and I'll find somebody else. Now you've told me that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. God isn't like that. The sovereign Lord who chooses his servants is not like that. What we have in these verses, 11 and 12, is instead a powerful declaration of God's sovereign greatness. His omniscience, that means his capacity to know everything. His omnipotence, his capacity to do everything. The almighty God. And not least this, the fact that as with Moses, as with Samuel, as with Jeremiah, as with the Apostle Paul, as with Isaiah, as with our Lord Jesus, as with every one of his servants... God has chosen and prepared Moses to carry out this very task from his birth and even long before his birth. God has not made a mistake in choosing Moses and making Moses the man he is. Not at all. Now let's think about this for a moment. If a human committee were getting together to choose somebody to be an effective persuasive speaker and leader in this situation if the council of the Israelite elders had got together and chosen somebody to go to Pharaoh and make this request they probably wouldn't have chosen somebody who admitted to being slow of speech and slow of tongue they might well say well you know he doesn't really have quite what it's going to take we don't see the natural gifts in him And we can even say this, when God himself calls someone to a task of being a speaker, a declarer, a proclaimer, a preacher, he might not ordinarily, he might not ordinarily usually choose somebody who admits to being slow of speech and slow of tongue. So why does God choose Moses here? Well, the short answer is that the sovereign God has chosen Moses, will be with Moses, will use Moses for his own glory and his own purposes. Moses' own perceived shortcomings are no barrier at all to the Lord using him. Not at all. 
If anything, we might even say that Moses' sense of personal weakness served to make him the humble and meek servant of the Lord he later on proved to be. You think of the Apostle Paul. Very similar, you see. We read the letters of the New Testament, we think, oh, well, Paul was a great man. Look at his letters, look at his learning, look at his theology, look at his life. What a great man. What a great preacher Paul must have been. He doesn't seem to have been a great preacher all the time. Oh, no, no, no. He says, when I came to you in Corinth, he says, I came among you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You wouldn't have seen Paul the Apostle stride up to the lectern or prance around the platform or mount the pulpit and and stand there looking like some great statue or athlete and pounding away with his own confidence or anything like that. You would have seen a, a shaking, trembling, frightened looking man with voice that is tremulous and trembling. Why? Well, Paul tells us, so that your faith might not be in man's eloquence, man's ability, man's understanding, man's power, but in God. And that is the whole point of preaching. Preaching is never to be carried out in merely human strength, but in divine strength. The word of God coming through weak human vessels. Now let me just come back to Moses and apply this to you and to me this evening. You or I may well be faced with a situation of responsibility or a situation that causes us to say, I'm not up to this. I don't think I can do this. I want to run away from this. Lord, I think you've got the wrong person. I'm not equipped to deal with this. But the same answer comes back from God. Who made your mouth? Who made your hands? Who made your mind? Who made your, who made your limbs? Who made you? Who made your personality? Who made your opportunities? Who, who put you where you are? Who opened that door for you? Go, I will be with you. Maybe tomorrow you've got something happening at school, at work, wherever you're going tomorrow and you're frightened about it. You're anxious about it. You're fearful. You're thinking, I'm not up to it. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't think I can do it. And the Lord is saying to you tonight, I I wouldn't have led you to this point and given you tomorrow to do if it wasn't that I'm going to be with you and strengthen you and be with you. I'm calling you to do it. And if you're feeling nervous... Well, you're in the company of Moses and Paul and plenty of others. Call on me and I will be with you. I will be with your mouth. I will be with your head and with your heart and your hands and everything. But it gets more serious, doesn't it, this evening? Moses' fear is understandable. It's a righteous fear. Moses' fear, though, is self-absorbed. And in the final analysis, Moses' fear is disobedient when we come to verse 13 again and Moses said oh my Lord please send someone else please send someone else not me and don't we see now that Moses really gets to the crux of the issue 
to the heart of the matter. Throughout these two chapters, he's been asking questions, raising objections, evading, prevaricating, procrastinating, and eventually it all boils down to this. Lord, I just don't want to do it. Not me. Don't make me do it. Let it be somebody else. Not me. No, 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 no. Please, Lord. I can't. I won't. Not me. Fear has overcome Moses, you see. But it's not the godly, pure fear that we saw at the beginning of chapter 3, which is simply a fear of the Lord and his brightness and glory and holiness and perfection. It's an ungodly fear. It's an unbelieving fear. It's an untrusting fear. It's a faithless and disobedient fear. It is a fear that causes him to say, as we sometimes may say, it's better for me, it would be better for me if I don't obey God. It's safer for me to turn away from what God has told me to do. It's best for me not to do what God has said, but to back down, to pull away, to retreat, and to turn back. It's a fear we may see again in future weeks. It's the fear, it's the same fear which caused ten of the twelve spies to urge the people of Israel not to enter the land of Canaan, because, after all, the people there are so big and terrifying and, and they're going to overpower us. We, we really can't. I mean, I know God said we could, but the people there, if you saw the people, you'd realize that maybe even God doesn't know how big they are and we really can't go in there. No, 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 we can't go there. It's the same fear that caused Simon Peter on the night Jesus was betrayed to say three times that he did not know Jesus. It's a fear that ultimately overrides what God says to us and prefers to trust our own individual, fallen, selfish, sinful instincts. But as with Simon Peter, as with the faithless spies, It'll all end in tears, bitter tears. Now, you may say to me this evening that I'm, I'm over-rationalizing this. What do I mean? Let's just think about fear. What is fear? Isn't fear, when we get down to it, a feeling, an emotion, a force which grips us, constrains us, overpowers us, controls us. Wasn't this the problem with Moses? We don't imagine that Moses was standing there in a, in a posture of poise and calm, you know, like the thinker in that statue and saying, you know, oh Lord, I think please send somebody else. But rather Moses was saying, send somebody else. yes. The man was panicking. The man was alarmed. The man was terrified because fear does that to us, doesn't it, sometimes? We lose all sense of rationality about things. Wasn't that true with Simon Peter? After all, the fear got the better of him. His mind and his better sense deserted him. Was it the same with the spies? Was it the same with men and women who down the years have, in the face of torture, imprisonment, death 
They've denied that they know Jesus because fear just grips them and seizes them. Fear is a feeling. Now, let's be honest here. There are many here who will know what it feels like to be gripped and consumed by fear in a most physically unpleasant way. The adrenal gland, working over time, pumping out gallons of adrenaline around our bodies. The palpitating heart, the sweaty palms, the trembling voice, the shaking legs, the feeling of faintness in our heads. Is, is that not fear? And is not fear so powerful and so gripping and so convulsing? And isn't fear like a master over us sometimes? Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that everything we can say? We need to just remember the word of God and it occurs to me now that the same Paul who wrote these words is the Paul who himself knew what it was to come to Corinth in fear and trembling. And this is very eloquent, it seems to me. Sometimes the fear and the trembling can be present in somebody's very body and in their, in their nature, in their, in their glands, in their circulation. But what does Paul say to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 7, I think is the verse. He says to him, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. They're words I want to come back to again later on in this series, maybe more than once. And notice this. Fear is not the sovereign. Fear is not the one that has the final word. It's faith that has the final word. Because although ten spies were disobedient, two were faithful. We'll come to them another time. And although Simon Peter denied Jesus in disobedient, faithless fear, the same Simon Peter later became a very different man returning to strengthen his brothers. And although there is a roll call of many men and women who down the years have denied the faith, it seems, the reformers of our own English history, the 16th century men like Bilney and Cranmer, and then the 20th century martyrs in China like uh, Wang Mingdao, these men who all at one time were prepared to say, I don't know Jesus, I'm prepared to deny him. Later on, these men all came back. They all came back. They all were given this faith that conquers fear. They became strengthened. The spirit of God in them that is not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And let me say this to you. Fearful saints, if you are a fearful saint tonight, if you cry out in the name of Jesus for a greater measure of the spirit of God to help you and strengthen you and impart courage to you in a time of fear, he will honor and hear that prayer and he will give you that power, that love, that self-control. Remember the Lord Jesus saying to his disciples, when you're brought before councils and trials and the Sanhedrin and they question you and they accuse you and they put you in the dock, 
do not worry or think too long beforehand about what you're going to say, for the words will be given you in that hour, for I, my spirit, will be speaking through you then. And this happened to Paul. This happened to Peter. This happened to Moses, didn't it? Oh, look at Moses a few chapters on. What a changed man he is, even in the early chapters of Exodus. He is a new man. He is a man who is different. I've gone on longer than I thought I would this evening. just want to make a few final thoughts and observations, which I think are important for us to see, and I'll be brief. Do you notice the aftermath of, this, of these words of Moses to God? Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? And I quite deliberately put a pause in the middle of those words. Because it seems to me that unless we do that, we don't understand what's going on here. We could read this as if somehow the anger of the Lord was shown in that God sent Aaron to Moses. And I don't think that's meant at all. It seems to me instead that there was momentarily, in response to Moses' words of disobedient fear, there was a demonstration of God's anger against Moses, quite probably, it seems, by an intensifying of the flames that burned in his presence. Moses felt the heat. He felt the blaze. He felt the, uh, he felt the, uh, the heat and the blast of God's anger for a time. God was angry with Moses. God was showing his wrath against this and his fatherly displeasure, we should perhaps say, against this fearful, faithless attitude of Moses. But that's not all, you see. Very quickly, see what the Lord does. He says to him, there's air on your brother who you haven't seen for a very long time. And I'll bring him to you. You go and meet him. He's a good speaker. Tell you what, Moses, you'll be a good team, won't you, you and Aaron? He'll do the speaking for you, and together you can go and tell the Israelites. And my point is this. Graciously, the Lord sends a companion, even his own brother, to Moses to help him in this situation. You see, God is like that with us. When we are tempted to fear and to be faithless, God does not always find fault. He provides companions, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ, to strengthen us, to encourage us when we are weak. And you notice how for a few chapters Moses and Aaron are together in so much of what's going on. But then after a while, you see Aaron just fading away a bit, and Moses has gained strength and encouragement to actually speak to Pharaoh and to the others without Aaron needing to be by his side all the time. But the final thing I want to say is this. The ultimate victory of faith over fear is not the victory of Moses or the victory of Peter or Paul or Joshua or anybody else. It's the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the author to the Hebrews 
quoting Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, writes these words, My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If he shrinks back, if who shrinks back? My righteous one, says the Lord. Who's the righteous one? It's the Lord Jesus. In the face of a far greater terror than Moses faced, the Lord Jesus did not shrink back, nor begin to shrink back. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the agony of our Lord was intense beyond our understanding and our experience. Sweating of blood, the angel required to strengthen him. This same Lord says, Though I would that this cup of bitterness would pass from me, the death I must die, the blood I must shed, the sin I must become for a time, though my soul abhors that, Although it's everything that's opposed to my own holy nature, says the Lord, yet my righteous one shall live by faith and will not shrink back. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then says the writer to the Hebrews, but we are, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are facing very soon some prospect that frightens you, or indeed if life itself fills you with fear, then cry out to the Lord Jesus, I say this again, for a greater measure of his spirit in your life and say, Lord, I'm so aware of my weakness. I'm so aware of my fear, my anxiety, my worry, my obsessive thoughts about this situation that I cannot bear to face. But Lord, as you, as the Lord Jesus did not shrink back in fear, enable me to continue, to be strong, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to have faith and preserve my soul. And we will be amazed at how the Lord will answer prayers of that kind that his people will bring. Keep praying, keep seeking, and the Lord is the rewarder of those who earnestly, diligently seek him depend on him. Let's pray together. We come, O oh Lord, in full awareness of our weakness and need, but we come, O oh Lord, persuaded, we hope, all of us here, that all the sufficiency that we need and can find is in you, O oh Lord, who strengthens the weak hands, the weak knees, the trembling hands. O Lord, who gives courage to the heart. O Lord, who made our mouths, made our minds, made our eyes, ears, made our all, made our very personalities, gave us opportunities, sends us on 
errands and missions and uh, responsibilities that you provide. Oh, Lord, be with your dear, beloved people here. Enable us to give a good account of our God, of our faith in all that we do. Strengthen us, O Lord. When we are afraid, we put our trust in you. O God, whose word I praise, I shall not be afraid. What can man, what can flesh do to me? We come, O Lord, and pray you'd be with us all now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.